the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I will be your host for today's nonprofit MBA podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. We've been around for over 12 years, and our product is extremely popular with nonprofits. They never had the opportunity to get lines of credit before. And now they do. So if you're interested in learning more, please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we also have a proud sponsor for today's podcast. In fact, the, uh, the president of the company is going to be our, our speaker for today too. But Arrays uh, is the name of his company. And Arrays, A-R-A-I-Z-E.com is a cloud-based accounting software that's specifically made for nonprofits. And I've said this many times, I really believe that it is great to have software that's specifically made for your industry and uh, versus taking something like, you know, QuickBooks and trying to make it work for your organization. In fact, one of the nonprofits that I'm on, uh, that I'm on the board of, uh, we just moved to a raise uh, for our software uh, package. So if you're interested in learning more about Arrays, please visit their website at R-A, excuse me again, A-R-A-I-Z-E dot com or call Joe at 866-840-7449. And today, of course, I am happy to be speaking again with uh, Joseph uh, Scarano from Arrays. And today's topic, I know it's going to get a lot of interest, is key things to know when filling out a nonprofit 990. Uh, Joe is the CEO of Arrays. They're a software provider for nonprofits. He is an inactive CPA and has been uh, uh, has spent over 40 years providing accounting services and software to the nonprofit industry. He has served on numerous nonprofit boards as treasurer. Joe, welcome again to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen, and happy Ides of March, everyone. Uh, yep. Appreciate um, being on the podcast again and uh, look forward to uh, telling everyone and disseminating some information about uh, their 990s. Uh, speaking of the Ides of March, when you think of March, I always think of April because that's when taxes are due for personal one month, tax return one month, right, in a yeah. month. So yeah. when are, you know, speaking of that, when are 990s typically uh, uh, required to be done? Just like a, a corporation, um, the 990 is due two and a half months after the end of their fiscal year. So today would be the deadline if your fiscal year was March, I'm sorry, December 31st, March 15th is the deadline for filing your annual 990. Uh, last time we got together, we talked about payroll and um, the misconception that nonprofits don't have to pay taxes. Uh, they do have to pay taxes. They have to pay payroll taxes for their employees if they have employees. While um, a nonprofit does not typically have to pay taxes unless they have some sort of unrelated business income where they might have a business that is not related to their nonprofit mission, they might have to pay taxes on that. 
all nonprofits do have to file annual returns with the IRS to make sure that they have um, kept up with their uh, nonprofit status and the nonprofits, um, the IRS needs to make sure that, you know, they are um, fulfilling their obligations, you know, to keep their 501c3 status. So that return that is being filed with the IRS is not for your, there's no taxes involved with that, but it's an information return. So um, like some individuals file a 1040 easy and some file a full 1040, depending on the nonprofit size, they have uh, three different 990 forms that they have to complete. If a nonprofit's revenue is less than $50,000 a year, they can do what's called a 990N postcard. It used to be that they could fill out a form, and it was a postcard, and mail it to the IRS. Now, that is all being done online. There's no more paper 990Ns being filed. So if if their revenue is less than $50,000 a year, they go to the IRS uh, 990 filing um, uh website and all you'd have to do to find it is do um, IRS uh, 990 form and there'll be a link to complete the 990N postcard. Essentially, it's just an information uh, that the IRS is looking for. Are you still in business? You know, what what were your uh, gross revenues for the year and are you still an operating concern? So they ask for some key information. You know, of course, you're a nonprofit name, your federal tax ID, the, the executives at the nonprofit, and a few other uh, informational questions. Very, very um, easy to complete on your own online. And um, so that's why, you know, it was all on a postcard, on one side of a postcard. And if your revenue is greater than 50000 but less than 200000 or um, your total assets is less than 500,000, then you do the 990EZ. Hmm. Now that's much more involved. You know, that includes financial information, your information from your statement of financial position, which is your balance sheet. So your assets, liabilities, and net asset balances, and a summary um, statement of activities or income statement. It, it's, a, it's pretty... Um, easy to complete that form. There, there's not a lot of additional supplemental data on the 990EZ, but it's obviously much more involved than a 990N. And then there's the 990, the complete 990. And that is, if you have assets greater than half a million dollars, 500,000, and your gross receipts is over 200,000, so it's either or, Gross receipts over two hundred thousand, assets over five hundred thousand. Then you have to do a full nine ninety, and that's much more involved. Uh, you do have to fill out a um, a form on your balance sheet, your statement of activities. Much more detailed than the full nine ninety. I believe the the uh, I'm sorry, the nine ninety easy. I believe the nine ninety easy, and it's been a while since I've completed it. I think it. The 990EZ just has assets, liabilities, net assets, whereas the full 990 has a breakdown of all of your you know, assets, liabilities, and net assets. 
then when it comes to your revenue, there are multiple line item categories of revenue, uh, grant revenue, program service revenue. That's actually services that you bill for. You know, maybe you're a medical clinic um, and you're billing for services uh, or you are a shelter and you charge for some of the services you provide or your counseling center. And maybe some of your revenue is coming from the clients that you're servicing or insurance reimbursements. Then there's fundraising revenue that is broken down by charitable contributions, you know, straight donations or fundraising event revenue. So that's really important to be able to segregate that information. So a fundraising event revenue would be, uh, let's say you have um, a black tie dinner and you have people paying for tickets for the dinner um, or people that are sponsoring the dinner. That is classified as event revenue because the donor is receiving something in return for their donation. It's just not a straight, you know, donation. And then there's other um, line item revenue categories for um, interest and rent and, and, you know, very similar to what an 1120 might look like with different line item um, revenue. And then the expense side is where it gets really complicated. It's not just every, you know, line item expense, salaries, payroll taxes, fringe benefits, professional services, utilities, telephone, every line item um, expense category on the 990 has to be split into three areas. Um, They call them functional expense categories. There is your support services, which are management and general expenses or administrative expenses. Then fundraising expenses, you know, the money that you expended raising funds, you know, your development office, you know, the cost of your website for donations, the cost of putting on your fundraising events, your salaries for your development office, and then um, your program-based expenses. Your base, the program-based expenses is, you know, what is the purpose of your nonprofit and what expenses did you incur executing your mission, your mission-based programs. So that's where the 990 gets a little bit more complex. And then there are multiple supplemental reports um, about your mission, you know, about, um, you know, how much money did you spend or revenue received for each of your mission-based program activities, grant revenues. Um, and there's, Um, Also, information about outcomes, you know, measuring the effectiveness of those programs. Then you have to break out um, your top donors. You have to itemize and list anyone who's donated more than $5,000 to your organization. They are listed in detail on the 990. So it's it's pretty complex. It's, you know, it's sometimes even more complex than what a corporation has to complete for their 1120. What? How? Um, cup, you know, online websites like GuideStar, um, and some of the other ones that are out there, do they get the nine nineties because uh, someone from the nonprofit uploaded them, or do they get them from a, a the IRS website or? Something? They get them from the IRS website. It's public information. They, public information. So they mm-hmm. just scrape it and it goes up. You know. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if everybody. Uh, uh, if you don't know this and you're the executive director listening, uh, you should know that, you know, that 
guide star or some of the other ones you're not familiar with them you know they have your 990 from past ones as long as if you filed them mm-hmm. and donors will look at your will look for that mm-hmm. you know yes. because they want they're, they're going to want to look at you know depending on how much money they're giving they're going to see you know if you're legitimate if you know where your money's going that you know how much money you're making if an executive director standpoint they want to see all that stuff so um, and also if you haven't filed a 990 in a while, you know, and if they're savvy enough, they're going to say, what's going on here? How come they haven't filed a 990? Well, so, if you don't file a 990, you're going to lose your 501c3 status. How does that, um, is that, how does that, let's say someone didn't file their 990, right? Does the IRS send you an email saying you are, they do. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the IRS, every, everything through when the IRS is mail. You, you'll never get a notification from the IRS via email for security gotcha. purposes. So yeah. if you ever, you know, for if anyone ever receives an, um, an email that says it's from the IRS, it's not. The IRS never sends emails for security purposes. So do that's, you think a, it, that's a phishing so, email. That's spam. Do you, yeah. Do you think that a... Um, all accountants are good at filling out 990s? No. No, because if, what- they don't, if they don't have experience working in the nonprofit sector, um, and, you know, let's say, you know, you mentioned this, this earlier in, your, in the uh, beginning of the podcast, yeah. you know, organizations that are using QuickBooks. Um, QuickBooks is not set up to do nonprofit accounting. So if you if the nonprofit has an accountant or bookkeeper who doesn't understand nonprofit accounting, they're not going to segregate their financial activity by functional area. They're just going to say, this is a telephone expense. This is a utility expense. This is, you know, my accounting services, my legal services expenses. So then if an, uh, an accountant comes in and pulls the data from QuickBooks to do the 990, um, and again, this is for organizations with revenue over $200,000. They somehow have to figure out the expenses and where to categorize them. You know, I don't know, do they guess? Do they apply a percentage? And getting back to um, GuideStar, one of the key things that uh, potential donors might look at for your organization is the reason the 990 breaks out your expenses by functional area is they want to know, um, and, and executive salaries is a line item expense on the 990. So a potential donor will see how much are executives getting paid. And if they see executives are getting paid in inordinate amount and or a high percentage of expenses are administrative that's not really a good flag for the nonprofit. They, nonprofits try to minimize administrative expenses. Uh, you know, they really need to be on the, on the up and up on that. And, you know, they can't um, just make up numbers. They have to have a, you know, a, a, an audit trail as to how they're classifying expenses. But if a nonprofit has very high administrative expenses, it, it doesn't look good in the light of some of some potential donors. What do you think uh, are some red flags that send a um, a higher signal to the IRS that you need to be audited because of something that you put on the nine ninety? What are do you, you what are some of the areas that you think the IRS looks very closely at? No administrative expenses. Uh, 
you know, someone has to run the organization. You know, you typically in a small nonprofit, employees wear lots of hats. You know, so it's not uncommon for the executive director to be, um, you know, helping run a program, you know, helping to raise funds. So it it is normal to take that individual salary and allocate it across management in general program and fundraising. But if you can't get around saying that the executive director did not do any administrative work. It, if you have zero administrative expenses or very, very low administrative expenses as a percentage of total expenses, that's something that the IRS might look at and question. It really doesn't impact their 501c3 status, but, you know, and, and, and honestly, you know, in all my years of working in the nonprofit sector, I can't even recall any time that any one of our clients was audited by the IRS from their 990. It's not because there's really nothing to gain from auditing from the IRS's standpoint as to other than um, rescinding their 501c3 status. So, you know, with reasonable reporting on the 990, the IRS pretty much will accept it. Um, Not to say that um, you want to fudge the 990, but um, auditing a 990 probably is not something uh, high on the priorities for the IRS. But you still want to make sure that the, the 990 is accurate, you know, that you're filling, that you're completing it, you know, with um, a clean audit trail back to your accounting system and, and you are properly allocating expenses to the three main, you know, functional areas. Do, do, does good uh, uh, accounting software for nonprofits create the 990? It'll create all the information for the 990 um, and might give you the data, you know, as file exports to feed into the 990, but to actual create, actually create the form. Um, I don't know of any software application that does that. But you know, so in, in the case, let's talk about your software. So when someone goes to put it in expense in, will it, will the software ask you, is this one of these, you know, you know, cause it knows it has to produce the information for the 990. It knows that the expenses have to be categorized for administrative. Ex- what, what was the category? Was it administrative? Whatever. Yeah, when you three, have- three categories, um, program, which is your mission-based activity, yep. man- management in general and fundraising. Yep. So does the software automatically ask you, uh, is this one of these three categories? Yes. For, you, you, oh, it, that's great. Yeah, good. A good nonprofit accounting software, regardless of, of which application you use, should give you the ability to segregate your expenses by functional expense. By you know, this is a management and general expense. This is a fundraising expense, and this is a program expense. Whether it's a homeless shelter, you know, a food kitchen, you know, a, 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 a ministry, you know, a church. Uh, well, churches don't have to file 990s. That's another right. thing. Uh, if you're a church, you do not, Religious you do institution, not have to yeah. file a 990. Yeah. Um, so any good accounting software will give you the ability to create those um, segmented account accounting ch- chart of account structure 
that when you record an expense, you identify, you know, what of what one of those three categories it is. And you can have multiple programs. You can have an after-school program, a daycare program, you know, a shelter. And so each one of those is a separate program that are all combined when you do your 990. Um, what happens if you don't file your 990 on time? Do you send like with a corporate return? Uh, what do you do? You can file an extension. Okay. Just like a corporate return, you can file a two and a half month extension. You can file an extension for an extension, but then after a while you do have to file it. Um, and if you don't file it, you eventually will get a notification from the IRS that you must file your 990 by a certain date. And if you don't, you then are jeopardizing your 501c3 status. So what happens in the cases where, have you ever seen a situation where they rescinded the 5013c status? What happens next? Well, then you have to um, back, you have to file all your missing 990s. You know, if you missed three or four years, you have to file each year that you're missing. And then you have to reapply to get your 501c3 status restated. Is it easy to get it back? If you file your 990s and you, um, you know, comply with what the IRS is um, requesting of you, then yes, you can get your, your status back. We, you know, it's kind of sad, but we have received quite a few calls from nonprofits that did not understand their obligations with the IRS and just didn't even know they had to file a 990 and went about their business, you know, whatever their mission was. And uh, a couple of years later, they get notifications that they didn't file a 990 and their 501c3 status is on hold. Um, so what, how that impacts the nonprofit is, um, you know, going for grants. You know, if they, if, if they have any contracts with um, state, county, or local government agencies for services that they provide, they will, you know, all those contracts will, will be void moving forward. It also could jeopardize their fundraising efforts. If, if you know, again, if they're out seeking donations, if they don't have a 501c3 status, those charitable gifts are not tax deductible. Any horror stories that you remember um, about 990s that, uh, that organizations had, you know, anything in general that you can think of? The horror story is not filing. You know, yeah. where they, you know, they, again, they, they, um, they not, not knowing, you know, not willfully not filing 990, just not being educated as to what obligations they had as a nonprofit to, um, comply with the regulations that the IRS states that you need to file an annual 990. And they do make it pretty simple for the smaller nonprofits, you know, with the postcard and the 990 EZ. But if you are over 200000 which is, you know, not a lot of money for a nonprofit, especially if you have employees, uh, if they have not filed their 990, they all of a sudden get notifications that they uh, are, uh, their, nine, nine, their 501c3 status has been uh, rescinded. And then all of a sudden their funding streams are drying up because um, they can't go to wherever they were getting money from in the past to get additional, you know, grant renewals and contract renewals. 
um, and whether or not donors will do the, the due diligence when they're donating to a nonprofit. If again, if the nonprofit is no longer registered for the IRS and they see on GuideStar, which is a great resource, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, for them to look at nonprofits if they're looking to make a donation. If they're not listed under GuideStar and the GuideStar shows that uh, their 501c3 status has been revoked, then that's that's the horror story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the answer to this question. How long does it take something to go from you submit it the uh, your nine ninety to the IRS before it gets onto GuideStar? Any idea? Uh, it's usually a year. A year, so it'll always be a year behind. Yeah. So you know, right now, you know, being twenty twenty three, the twenty twenty two nine nineties probably won't be there till the end of the year. So it'll be twenty twenty one. Okay. Yeah. What about um? I was going to ask you, what happens if you close down your uh, your nonprofit? Is there a form you need to fill out? Yeah, you you have to notify the IRS that you're no longer in operations. Um, t- according to uh, IRS rules and regulations, if there are any assets left over in the business, the um, board, you know, the oversight committee, the executives cannot touch those assets. Those assets need to be redistributed to other nonprofits. Oh. Oh, or given to the people that the nonprofit served. Um yeah, and then, you know, you know, if they totally liquidate all of their cash and, you know, it, it, who if you know, if they're serving the community, you know, providing, you know, assistance, food assistance, you know, welfare assistance, rent assistance, they distribute it, but they can't just give it out to, I, I, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think they can just give money out, you know, <laughs> unless that's their mission, you know, distributing funds to the poor. Um, you and, know, but- and what happens is like, if you, if the executive director or the board took that money for themselves? It uh, would be um, considered uh, compensation and, and it would be taxed. Okay. 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 So then you would need to make, so there'd be taxes, payroll tax, not right. as, not as business tax. Right. 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 Well, that would happen anyway. Cause when you issue, unless you, unless they issue a 1099, I guess. Um, but you wouldn't want to issue a 1099 to somebody who was a W2 person and like the board would be a little different, but well, even yeah. then, but yeah. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 it, the IRS would, probably question why did you issue both a W-2 and a 1099 yeah, yeah, to yeah. the same individual where and really should, a red be flag again. should be taxable as salary. What about, the, um, I know, I, I, um, what about the issue that you have where you have employees that are working 40 hours a week, but you pay them a 1099 and, and uh, does the IRS, I know they don't like that on the business side, mm-hmm. but do they not like that on the nonprofit side too. Is it a red flag? Well, the flag? IRS will, uh, considers uh, nonprofits businesses the exactly the same when it comes to employment law. If, if the nonprofit is controlling the hours worked by their employees and they're not in, and they can't demonstrate that they're independent contractors where the independent contractor says, I'm only available 12 hours this week to work for you. 
and the nonprofit turns around and says, no, you need to be available 40 hours a week, that would, um, you know, make that contractor an employee and would have to be put on salary. So it, if the nonprofit is controlling your time and hours when you work, then you're considered a salaried employee. Whereas if the independent contractor controls the time worked for their clients, if they're nonprofits, then you can get a 990. Um, yeah, I just, I'll tell you from personal experience, if because I've had this issue. If you have someone who's working 40 hours a week and you have them on 1099, they should not be on 1099. I'll just tell you right now. Period. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Um, so if someone's working 40 hours a week and you're putting on 1099, you're putting your nonprofit at risk. Seriously, because payroll taxes are completely different to they are, they want their money, the government, yep. they want their money. And if someone's working 40 hours a week and you're paying them 1099, they're not getting their money, yes. um, you know, and then they don't want to be chasing somebody after. So there's, you know, there's something called 20 rules that the IRS uses to determine. But in general, number one rule is if someone's working 40 hours a week, there's no way they're almost not they should not be not considered a a w two employee so just just a heads up on that as well yeah, you know it, uh, for those listening uh, go back and and revisit the podcast that steve and i did last month on payroll so we touched on that um and i'm glad you brought it up again because you know that that's where nonprofits and regular businesses are exactly the same when it comes to payroll um and employee rules and regulations yeah all right, so we got a just a minute or two left. Give me your last word and regards or last you know thoughts yeah. on nine ninety. Yeah, as as a nonprofit, uh, you have to understand that you are obligated to um, comply with the IRS rules and regulations for annual filing of your nine ninety. You you are not exempt, and we just touched on the basic nine ninety forms: the nine ninety N, which is the postcard. The 990EZ, which is if you have assets less than half a million and revenue um, greater than 50,000, less than 200,000 is the EZ, and revenue greater than 200,000 or assets greater than 500,000 is the full 990. Now, if you're a private foundation, that's the 990PF. So that's a little bit different because it's a private foundation. But the again, every nonprofit must file an annual 990 or you risk um, losing your 501c3 status. Yeah, I'm going to put my two cents in this too as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I make this mistake quite a bit. I have my accountant do our, um, our corporate tax return and I don't always review it. I, <laughs> I, I, he does it. I don't really take, I don't always take a quick look at it and, you know, it just goes right. And I would say, I would recommend uh, to all our listeners, number one, you should be looking at your 990 because it's really important for you to understand the different categories that the 990 has um, just so that you run a good nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because you might be in front of somebody who's, who's, issues, who's uh, you're trying to pitch a grant and they might say something about how is your uh, administrative expenses divided up? What are they? Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? You know, and then you realize they're talking about nine, your 990. 
That's number one. Number two is, um, here's another thing is he might've made a mistake. He or she might've made a mistake as well. So you should probably review it. You know, he's going to send it to you. You have to sign it. And so he's probably going to, you know, send it to you anyway, look it over, make sure it's correct because he might've forgotten something. Like I give you an example. I, this is not nonprofit related. I mean, I bought an electric car and I get a 7,500 tax rebate. You know, I want to make sure that my accountant has that on the form because he gets my accounting, uh, uh, data, but it doesn't say Stephen bought a electric car. Okay. So, you know, I am, you know, so again, I'm at fault of not always doing that either, but I would just, that's my two cents as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't, ignorance, ignorance is bliss for a lot of people. And, you know, when it comes to being, you know, fiduciary, fiduciary for your nonprofit, you know, at, at the executive level, you want to make sure that when you do file your annual 990, that you review it and everything is accurate. Um, um, re- reflecting your your fiscal um, position every year to year, you probably should share it with your board too, as oh, of well. Course. You of should course. be sending it out to your board, of so um, you know it's good for them to know. So, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility, just like you do. So um, cool. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It's great podcast. I kind of knew it was going to be a, pod- a, a good podcast, and so I'd like to thank so very much, uh, Joe Scarano from. Arraise, A-R-A-I-Z-E, for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We have fantastic guests on. If you like today's podcast, please also give us a review as long as it's five star. Uh, It really helps us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Or give us a call at 862-207-4118. And again, if you want to take a look at uh, Joe's uh, uh, company's software arrays, it's A-R-A-I-Z-E dot com. And Joe, other than your, your uh, and is there any other way that people can get a hold of you? Best thing is to go to the website. Um, they could go to arrays.com, as you said, or they can send an email to sales at arrays.com. Thank you. And, you know, the last thing is, and I always end it this way, I want to thank our listeners out there for doing everything they can to make the world a better place. You guys are out there every single day doing it. I thank you for that. We really need it. Uh, I know Joe and I are doing our own part in our own way, not like you guys are doing it. But, you know, I just want to remind all our listeners out there that you're no help to your family, your friends, your employees, your cause if you don't take care of yourself first. So make sure you take care of yourself, your health. Every day you should be thinking, what do I need to do to take some time for myself? Because if you don't do that, your cause is going to suffer. And uh, it's really important. So take a step back and uh, really um, you know, enjoy your life. Thanks, Everybody, Dave. Yep, thanks, Joe. Have a great day, everybody. You too. Ciao.